Hey, welcome to Rockbridge. Want to welcome you all across North Georgia and the, the Tennessee Valley. My name is Matt Evans, one of the pastors on our team. Want to give a shout out just to all of our campuses. We were one church in multiple locations, so Dalton, Chatsworth, Ringo, Calhoun. Hickson and soon to be Cleveland, Tennessee, and we're fired up about that. We're also one church in multiple languages. This weekend we have a service fully uh, in Spanish for those who prefer or speak Spanish, and so we're just excited to be here. I want to wish you a very, very happy Easter. Listen, as we begin, in the seat back in front of you, or if you're on the front row, probably underneath you, there's a card kind of outlined in green that says Easter. This would just really help us out. If everyone, I'm going to fill one out, and I, I've been going to church here for 16 some odd years, but if just everyone could fill this out, it helps us, one, if you're a rock bridger or you've been here a time or two before, just update and make sure we have accurate information. Uh, it, it also just is a way for us to just know who was here, pray for you. We're not going to run up your data and messaging rates or anything like that. So sometime during the service today, and you'll have an opportunity to just give this to us at the end of the service, if you don't mind just filling out name and some of your contact information, and we'll refer back to it uh, a little bit later. So I, I want us to uh, pretend kind of like this is like a Miss America or Miss Universe contest, and this is like the oral response, right? I'm going to give you a question, and I want you to think about the answer. What what is the greatest good or what would be the greatest good on earth? Okay, now just think about that and the first thing that pops to your head, I, I don't know what it would be. Would it be an epic football game or football all year round for those of us who have withdrawals? Would it be health? Would it be intimacy? Would it be career success? What, what would the greatest good on earth be for you or what, what do you perceive it would be? And then I, I want to just share my answer and spend the rest of our time together trying to show you uh, the logic, the reason, and understand uh, where I'm coming from and why I give the answer that I give. I, I believe the greatest good on earth would be that if you and I could come to understand, accept, receive the love of God. I, I believe that would be the greatest good, that if you and I could just come to understand how much God loves us, and, and we could live from that spot. We could find our identity in that spot. We would find our purpose in that spot. So, so I'm going to say that the way I would answer that question is that we would all understand how much God loves us. Now, it, it, we get this from the Bible, right? And Romans 5 makes this statement. It says, God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So, so we're going to sort of go on a journey together to see if we can't connect the, the love that God has with the heart that we possess. And that's the journey that we're going to be on. In, in fact, years and years ago, they used to talk about when you became a Christian. You know, we've got language for that. Hey, I received Christ. A lot of us in the, in the, in the South, we say I was born again. Maybe you say, hey, confirmation or I prayed a prayer. Maybe you're not even sure what it means to, quote, become a Christian. That's okay, but hundreds of years ago, in the deep south where we are, this was the phrase they used. I've been seized by the power of a great affection. In other words, I've come to accept and receive and embrace myself in the love of God. Now, now here's the challenging part about what we're talking about. It's especially today in the 21st century, when I say the word love and, and receive the love of God, there's a tremendous amount of confusion, misunderstanding around love. We can't even agree on what love is. You know, there's hashtags that say love is love. Like, hey, it's just love, right? You see that on social media. A lot of our greatest hurts and highest hopes have to do with L-O-V-E, don't they? 
But all of us would say we want love because there's some innate thing in, in all human beings where we want it, but there's confusion, there's uncertainty. How do I find it? How do I get it? You know, all, a lot of us would say, hey, I fell in love and then I fell out of love. And should love be that kind of fragile, that kind of superficial? And there's three images I want to share with you that I think kind of capture in three broad categories our kind of understanding of love and our understanding of it that that may or may not be flawed. And if we're going to fall in love with God or receive the love of God or be seized by the power of a great affection, which would be God's love, we may have to unlearn some bad definitions of love. But image number one is simply the image of a ladder. And, And this is that I have to sort of do something and, and, and climb something to earn love. And, and, I, and I've got to just be a lovable person. I've got to achieve something, be a certain kind of person in order for God to love me or for anybody else to love me. That's why we're going to the gym, so we look good, because maybe if we look good, somebody will notice us and they'll start to love us, right? That's why we try to collect trophies and achievements. We're trying to climb a ladder in order to be lovable. In other words, love is conditioned upon who I am or conditioned upon what I have or what I've achieved how good of a person I am, and if I want God to love me, I've got to be good. And so that's kind of image number one. Image number two is trash and a mess. And some of us here today would say, you know what? My life's a mess. And I don't think anybody could really love me, much less a a God that I'm not even sure about. And and so, you know, your your image of love is is just, it's messy, I'm messy, I don't think I'm lovable, right? And and so that's that's kind of where you are. And then there's like a third image of love, and it's what I'll call Play-Doh love. Now, now Play-Doh love is growing in popularity. Play-Doh love is, love is what I say it is. Play-Doh love is, hey, if you really loved me, it would look like this. And, 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 and if God is love, he would not allow this, and he would do it this way. Plato love is just whatever I want or whatever I feel love would be like. And, and what, however I want love to, or, or I perceive love. I mean, love is love. Love is what I say it is. Love makes me feel good about myself. Love lifts my self-esteem. Love never points out when I'm wrong. Love, love's not offensive. Love is all about feeling or love is all about my self-esteem. And so we just want to shape love the way, you know, that way we want it to be, right? Now, if you're Matt Evans, and maybe you can relate, Here's kind of my flawed views of love, okay? Here's my flawed views. I'm going to do it in these three images. I want to look respectable on the ladder. I'm not perfect, but I want to look respectable, at least compared to other people. I want to look respectable on the ladder. I sort of want to hide my messes, and then I'll fill in any gaps with Play-Doh. Well, nobody's perfect, God understands. Oh, you'll just forgive me. Oh, well, you know... It's okay. It's not really that big a deal. I mean, I kind of get that from my family. You know, whatever that Play-Doh looks like. So, so I want to be respectable on the ladder. I want to hide my mess. And I just want to use Play-Doh to cover the gaps. I want us to talk about God's love. With the prayer and the hope being. No matter where you are. No, if, you, if you say you're a Christian, say you're not a Christian. We would walk out of here today. And maybe, just maybe, we would be seized by the power of a great affection. 
we're going to look at the first sermon that was ever preached after Jesus' resurrection. It's preached by a guy named Peter. We got a lot in common with the crowd of people that heard this first sermon because they had come for a, for a religious Jewish festival to the city of Jerusalem. Some of them had traveled great distances. They were there because of tradition, because of the calendar. And the calendar said, hey, here's the Feast of Weeks or the Feast of Pentecost. So, so everybody that can needs to go to Jerusalem. It was religious. It was dutiful. It was tradition. And they were just sort of there. They, they, and listen, this crowd, some of them are going to get seized by the power of a great affection. They didn't show up that day saying, hey, I want the greatest thing in the world to happen to me. They show up, showed up that day to say, hey, we check the box on our religion. And, and listen, isn't that kind of what we do in the South? Hey, it's Easter. We're all supposed to be here. Uh, I'm not expecting anything to happen, but, it, but I'm just supposed to be there. And that's fair, and that's fine. And that, so we got a lot in common with this crowd. And, and Peter begins to show them the love that God has for them to make this journey uh, of getting God's love into their hearts, as we read in Romans 5, verse 5. We read, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth, so a historical person from a historical place, was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. So God did some verifiable things that eyewitnesses saw. We've got people who were healed by Jesus. He really existed. He really walked. He really talked. He really did some things that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Now, now, this is interesting. If Peter's trying to get them to the point of, of love and being seized by the power of a great affection, he's going through their mind. He's going through history and verifiable, objective things. And so the first point that we got to go through is this. The love of God is a reality outside of us. The love of God is a reality outside of us. Now, when I say reality, I mean it's objective and it's historical. That Jesus lived a certain way, did some amazing things, taught us about love, demonstrated love, and we can know that objectively. In other words, not subjectively. Now, let me tell you why I think this is so important that we understand this. And then when we get into the Gospels and we get into the story of Jesus... God doesn't, rarely do we see them come out and just say, hey, God loves you. We, we find them saying factual statements like this. Jesus Christ died. Jesus buried. Jesus raised. Jesus appeared. And we get these factual, objective, historical statements in the Bible and even outside of the Bible. For example, there are um, six independent historical sources that there was an empty tomb in Jerusalem on Easter. Six Historians get excited and put stuff in your kids' history books if there's two independent sources. There's six that there was an empty tomb after Jesus was placed in it. And then over 500 eyewitnesses account to witnessing the facts of Jesus died, Jesus buried, Jesus raised, and Jesus appeared. So how does that relate to love? Well, well, let me me unpack it. Let me explain it uh, this way. All of us live by perception, and our perception is our reality. And we put great stock in in what what we perceive in our minds, in our emotions, in our gut, and in our feelings, right? We put great stock in our perceptions. Yet if you've lived long enough, here's what you know. Your perceptions become your reality, but your perceptions aren't always right. Aren't always right. And and so it's like for me, I, I grew up on the lake. I love to go to the lake. Every time I get into the lake, I have to convince myself that there's not a rogue great white shark in the lake. 
because I have been influenced by a fictional movie that came out in the 70s about a rogue shark on the coast of, uh, off the coast of Massachusetts, right? So my perceptions can lie to me. And so when God starts by communicating his love to us with an objective reality outside of us, he's asking us to really get beyond our perceptions and our subjectivity and let's focus on what we can know objectively. Christ died, Christ raised, Christ appeared. And so he wants us to focus on things outside of us. So another way, think about your parents, right? And how your parents loved you. Do you ever have an example in your life where you thought your parents were unloving and then later on in life, you're like, man, my parents did. That was so loving what they did. And you realize what you were wanting your parents to do was love you with Play-Doh love. God, God, if they really loved me, you'd let me stay out later. I remember my dad was in the National Guard. So once a year, he had to like make weight, you know, military weighs you. And so he would go on what was the infamous Evans three-day diet. My brother and I, like, are in puberty. My brother's trying to get a college scholarship to play football. And we're doing this three-day diet, which consisted of hot dog with no bun and beets. Beets. What a terrible combination. So for three days, I thought, my mom and dad don't love me. Why are my mom and dad trying to starve me, right? Now, I'm 44, and I'm looking back, and I'm like, man, I need to go on that three-day diet. I need to watch my carbs, and I need to have vegetables. And so it's changed my perception. So when God starts by saying, hey, Christ died, Christ buried, Christ raised, Christ appeared, knowable, factual, verifiable, historical facts that he's talking us to and he's inviting us to, he's, he says, look, you need to consider that reality exists outside of you. And I want your mind to deal with things beyond your perception. I want your mind to deal with things beyond uh, everything going on. And, and I want you to understand there's some things you need to know in order to understand how God loves you. In other words, what God is saying and where God is going with this is, look, when it comes to love, you got to put away the Play-Doh. When it comes to how I love you, you got to put away the Play-Doh. See, some of you, you don't think God loves you because of something that's happened to you. And if God really loved me, this cancer would not have come at me because love does not look like cancer. And if I'm holding the Play-Doh love, it does not shape itself in the form of cancer. Some of you are like, if God really loved me, he wouldn't have let this happen to me. Or if God really loved me, I'd have more likes on Facebook and more dates on Friday night, baby. Right? And, and so all of us, okay, just we want this Play-Doh love. How we perceive love should look. How we perceive love should feel. How we perceive love should be. Yet all of us would admit sometimes our perceptions are not accurate. So God invites us, put away the Play-Doh. Get outside yourself. Deal with some facts that are independent of you and independent of what's happened to you and independent of your time in history. Get, out some, get outside your facts and let's just consider Jesus Christ died, buried, raised, appeared. Let's just consider six independent historical sources that something happened, an empty tomb, and 500 eyewitnesses to a resurrected Jesus. And let's keep the conversation going. Verse 23. Though he, Jesus, was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. So God had a plan, and he knew about it way, way ahead of time. 
you use lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. Now, that doesn't sound loving to say, hey, you, you were complicit in Jesus' death. Some of these people were on the road to Jerusalem. Some of these people weren't even in Jerusalem. Some of these people hadn't even known Jesus of Nazareth when he was crucified. And he says, but you use lawless people to nail him and kill him. Now, at this point, there's no connection. It's sort of like when you say they, hey, they have a problem. That doesn't mean I have a problem. It's they have a problem. So there's a disconnect here. But the bottom line of this statement in Peter's sermon is this the love of God is planned meaning it's eternal and it's pre-us that's important that the love of God is planned meaning it's eternal it's been God is love it's God's the originator of love the initiator of love and it's pre you and me so God before he created the world was doing things with love and had a plan that was a product of his love. Listen to how Ephesians puts it. Even before he made the world, God loved us. Let's put it another, let's, let me put it in some other vocabulary for you. Even before you made a mess, God loved you. Even before somebody told you there was a ladder you had to climb to be lovable, God loved you, and he chose us in love or in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance, had a time, had a plan, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. That is what he wanted to do, the free act of God to love you and I. And it gave him great, great pleasure. Now, now what does it mean that God's love is planned and it's pre-us? Here's what it means. Before we did anything bad or good, God loved us. Before we did anything bad, before we made a mess of our marriage, before we made a mess of our purity, our money, our first job, before we messed up our, one of our kids, before we you know, had a bad spring break, whatever it is. God loved us. He loved us in advance. He loved us before he created the world. Before we did anything good or bad, God loved us. And listen, so many of us, here's what our love language looks like. God loves me when I. Make it up a few rungs on the performance ladder. God would, lo- God would love me if I. God would clean up my mess. Or God would, lo- God would love me because I. Just take out the phrases, when I, if I, because I. God loves us because he is love. So, so let me say it another way. There is nothing we can do to make God love us more or make God love us less. Because he decided ahead of time. He, listen, the mess you made, the mess Matt Evans has made, God knew about it. He still loved us. Before anybody ever said, hey, to be lovable for God to love you, you've got to climb a ladder. God's like, there is no ladder. There's no ladder. Because I, I, why, why, why is there nothing we can do to make God love us more or love us less? Because the Bible says this, God is love. Now, here's what that means. He's the originator of love, and it's an enduring attribute of his nature from the Amplified Translation. Now, listen, some of us in society believe love is God. 
Now, here's what that means. If love is God, love is what I say it is, and I feel loved when I have a bunch of this or a little bit of that, and it's back to Plato love. The Scripture doesn't say that. The Scripture says God is love, meaning he's the author of it, meaning he's the perfecter of it, meaning it originates in him. So when we embrace the fact that God's love is planned and God's love is pre-us, here's what it means. There is no ladder, N-O, no love ladder that you got to climb to deserve, to earn, to merit love. So God, there's no ladder. And then God, K-N-O-W, God knows about your mess, and he still loves you. So, so all of our images, our big three categories of love, in two verses in, the, in this sermon that happened after the resurrection, Peter's just shot them out of the water. And, and it's almost like, man, I, I, I don't know what love is then. So now he's going to focus in on the greatest demonstration of the fact that God is love. The objective, verifiable, historical, eternal fact that God is love. He's going to zero in on the demonstration of that, which is Jesus. He continues. He says, this Jesus, remember the one that, that you killed, he said to the crowd. God raised him up, that's Easter, ending the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Death couldn't hold him because he's God, he's Jesus, he's the son of God. For David, and he goes back to Old Testament, the, pro, the king, and David says of him, says of Jesus, my flesh will rest in hope, my body will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your holy one to see decay. He prophesied, he predicted the resurrection of Jesus. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me in gladness in your presence. In other words, Jesus won't be left to die. And he says, he goes, brothers and sisters, I can now confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He's both dead and buried, and his tomb is right here with us today. But what David was talking about was not his life. He was talking about the one who was to come. So seeing what was to come... Jesus, the King of kings, Lord of lords, he, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah, Jewish name for Jesus. He was not abandoned in Hades. His flesh did not experience decay. And he says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, he has been exalted to the right hand of God. So he zeroes in on Jesus, zeroes in on his resurrection, and he makes some comments that we need to grasp about the resurrection. The resurrection was promised, part of God's plan, and it's an, accompl and it's an accomplishment of God. Something God promised, something God has accomplished in history. The resurrection promised and accomplished. And what did he accomplish? Well, one thing, it, it tells us Jesus has been verified and validated as the Son of God, as the long-awaited Messiah. Jesus has been verified and validated. He's not just Jesus of Nazareth who went around doing some good things. The resurrection shows he's more than a good teacher and he's more than a good person. The resurrection shows that he has achieved something, accomplished something in God's promised plan, and it verifies him as the Son of God, the, the long-awaited Savior of the world, the Messiah and validates everything about him. That is who Jesus is. So he zeroes in on, on that understanding of Jesus. And then he gets real personal with the crowd. In Acts 2.36, he says this, establishing who Jesus is, getting rid of our Play-Doh, getting rid of our ladders, not worrying about our mess anymore. Love doesn't include any of those things. Here's what he says. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus whom you killed, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. He, you did, this wasn't just any guy that hung on a tree that day. 
The Romans killed at least half a million people in their history by crucifixion. This Jesus of Nazareth is not just any guy. He's God, he's Savior, and you all killed him. Now, that would be like him standing up here and saying, we killed him. We killed him. Now, that's offensive, right? And, and love's not supposed to be offensive. At least Plato loves not, right? Why does God say that we killed him? Do you realize you killed Jesus? Do you realize Matt Evans killed Jesus? What's he, what's he doing? The love of God shows us who we really are. The love of God shows us who we really are. Now, what, what's he doing? Because he's, how, did, how did we kill Jesus? Peter knows because Peter realizes he chose himself over Jesus. What did the people who crucified Jesus do? They chose themselves over Jesus. Every single person walking and talking and breathing, every single person in any crowd you've been in, the person you look at in the mirror every single morning has preferred yourself, your deal, your agenda over God. And so you've killed Jesus. You're a crucifier. Because sin is always in the heart before it's in our behavior. Once again, what does he said? He said, get rid of the ladder. The ladder's all external. How do you look compared to other people? Do you look respectable on the ladder? It's always in the heart before it's in the behavior. It's always in the heart before it's in the behavior. And so Peter is like, this doesn't feel very loving. Why is he doing that? Well, he's showing us something. How do you measure love? The cost to the lover cost Jesus his life cost Jesus his life and the, did, the, did the one being loved deserve it no so we didn't deserve it and it cost the son of God God himself his very bodily life that's the measure that, that Peter has now displayed to the crowd you killed him you killed him and it cost him his life to come down because of God's plan Jesus Christ died raised appeared resurrected right and when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. They were affected. Suddenly this was no longer a religious journey. Check, I'm out of here. Let's go, have a, let's go have lunch. They're pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what should we do? Because now, now I can't hide my mess. can't hide my mess and there's no ladder to climb <laughs> and I can't make love what I want it to be so what do we do and Peter responds and he says repent change your thinking change the direction you're going change the love you're looking for just change and be baptized which is to say be included be adopted Become part of the family of God. Each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, this living God, for the forgiveness of your sins, that he paid your sin debt. He paid it all. You know, forgiveness is always costly to the one doing the forgiving because they have to, like if you went out and, and drove my car and wrecked my car, I could say, hey, just pay for it. We're cool, and then we'll be cool. Or I could say this, I'll pay for it, and I still love you. Jesus on the cross, you know what he said to you? 
He could have said, all right, climb the ladder, but you can't. He could have said, clean your own heart up, but you can't. His justice won't let him say, just let's do Plato love. What did he say? I'll climb the cross for you. I'll pay the debt for you. And the only emotion I have left for you is love. Seized by the power of great affection. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So now let's measure God's love. Cost to the lover his life. The deservedness or the merit of the recipient. We didn't deserve it. And the benefit we get. What do we get out of this? God. Not just heaven, not just forgiveness. We get God. That's the greatest good that could happen to anybody on planet Earth. So this plan of God's love, look, the plan is to bring conviction. God has to cut your heart for you to know his love. But it's not for the purpose of condemnation. It's for the purpose of connection, to reconnect you to himself. I, I want to share a story with you of a guy named Chris, friend of ours, in our, a brother in our Calhoun campus. I want you to hear his story of connecting to God. I was raised in church. My grandfather was a Southern Baptist minister for more than 50 years. Uh, my mother was our church piano player. Uh, and, you know, God was a big part of my life. I got older and I got out of college and I got in a band and we got signed and went on the road and I became a person I didn't really like that much. I drank every day. Um, I started using marijuana frequently. I basically was living life for me with little care for anyone else. I made a lot of poor decisions, completely on me, you know. I wasn't using God as a decision filter. Ended up just following them with the wrong people putting my hope into the wrong things. You never think about the consequences of everything you're going to be doing. And the choices become poor choices, and the poor choices become habits, and the habits become your life. You know, I was putting all my hope in this, all my faith into these different things, but they weren't making you happy. They weren't fulfilling you. If anything, I was becoming emptier and emptier because I was getting farther and farther away from God. You know, it didn't matter how much I'd given up on myself or, or basically had given up on God. God never gave up on me and pursued me relentlessly. The last CD we did got rejected, and we basically just gave up at that point. Everybody got day jobs, and we decided to live normal lives. And uh, during that process, a lot of really great things started to happen to me. I, uh, I met my wife met some great people, some really good friends that uh, were going to church at Rockbridge and were already plugged in at Rockbridge. And it was like the music aspect of Rockbridge. Um, God was using Matt to reach back to me. About three years ago, Matt had a sermon where he was talking about, you know, God has made us all for a reason. We all have things we're good at, whether it's public speaking, teaching, playing guitar, whatever. You know, he created us to use that for his purposes. And that was probably the biggest moment of epiphany that I had. You know, I've wasted all this time trying to serve myself with what I was doing 
when I was supposed to be serving God. Everybody's a sinner. Everybody's done stuff. And there might be people sitting out there that are like, well, I've done that. I've done that. I'm not going to tell anybody that I've done that, but I've done that. And if God relentlessly pursued me after I turned my back, ran away, and put my hope in everything that I could find from a physical nature but him, and he still came after me, um, then he's going to do the exact same thing for, you know, other people, regardless of what it is they've done. And there's a lot of hope in that. You know, Chris's, uh, Chris's story, I, I wrote this down. It's like God never gave up on me. He pursued me relentlessly. He reached back for me. What, when, when, when Chris preferred self over God, and he told you that in his story, God didn't come back to him and say, climb the ladder, deal with your mess. Or, oh, I just love you the way you, it's okay. God said, there's no ladder. My love for you is bigger than the mess you made. My love for you is eternal. My love for you is objective. My love for you is not temporary, not superficial. And I'm pursuing you back. And I'm bringing you back to me. Seized by the power of a great affection. You see, what Peter did for the crowd in that first sermon after the resurrection is help them realize something. We must first realize the cross has done something by me or by us. Then Then it's done for us. Then it's done for me. I did it. I'm guilty. I preferred self to Jesus. I prefer self to God. I want to be my own God. I want to make something other than God, God. So I did it. But the cross is also done for me so that in the resurrection, God could give me himself. A living God can stand here and say, get rid of the ladder. My love is not Plato love. It's not based on your perceptions, your feelings, your situation, your circumstances. It's eternal. It's historic. It's before there were situations. It's before there was cancer. It's before you even made a mess. I love you. And that's why the love of God invites surrender. That the measure of God's love for us should dictate and determine the measure of our surrender to him. Listen, if you, if you surrender for anything other than love, you're either crazy or you're under coercion. You, you, we're crazy, right? But when we fall in love with something, we surrender, right? If I love a game, if I love a sport, I surrender to the rigor and the discipline of the diet and the practices and the coaching. If I love another woman so much, I get to the front of an altar and I surrender. And I say, I'm going to be with you till death does me part. I surrender singleness. I surrender my way and it becomes our way. If I choose to have kids or adopt kids, I am surrendering a lot to love those kids. The love of God always invites surrender. And listen, this is not submission to religion. This is not submitting to do a couple of check boxes and move on. That's what the crowd came to do. When Peter started preaching, they were there to check a box. They weren't there to get seized by love and surrender to Jesus. You read the rest of the story, though. They became devoted followers of a resurrected God who died in their place. And that's where we stand today. 
And that's our opportunity and our invitation today. I want to just ask you, those green cards that you filled out a little bit on at the beginning of the sermon, just pull those back out. I just want to walk you through something, ask you a couple of questions, and ask you to participate with me. And we're all doing this, all elders and staff, and all of us are doing it. We're church from all walks of life. just want to ask you to follow along with me. And as we talk about God's love and being seized by the power of a great affection, here's the invitation. Letter A, down at the bottom, says, I've already surrendered. You, you would say, hey, I, I, I am in love with God because he first loved me. His love is in my heart. I am surrendered to him. I am surrendered to him. Letter B would say this, hey, beginning today, I am ready to begin a love relationship with the God who loved me eternally, the God who had a plan to love me, the God who had a plan to bring me back, not pay me back. Or, or you might say, hey, I'm coming back today. Matt, I have wandered from God. It's been a long time since I've, I've, I needed to be refreshed today by the love of God. So you would just say, B, I am beginning today to walk with God in a surrendered love relationship or I'm coming back to him today. Letter C would be this. I'm gonna consider this. I, I need to think about it. I'm considering. That's okay. Perfect. This is a safe place for that. We've got opportunities for you to consider and check it out and ask, ask questions. And then D would be, Matt, I just don't know. And I have my doubts. I just really don't know and I have my doubts. So those are our our, our four choices. Uh, Have we been seized by the power of a great affection, seized by it so powerfully, so much, so clearly that we're surrendering to a person, not a religion, not rules, not a tradition, not a preference, not a denomination. We're surrendering to a person. I've already done it. Beginning today, I'm doing it, or I'm coming back to him today. I'm coming back to Jesus today. Matt, I'm going to consider this. Or I just don't know and I have doubts. At all of our campuses, your campus pastors, your venue pastors are going to come up right now. And they're going to continue to talk to you about some connections that you can make, some opportunities that we have. Because we want everybody to experience the greatest thing that could ever happen is that you would be seized by the power of the great affection of a great God. Happy Easter.